Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry, only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands, all hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to the third episode of Tendy Talk. I am your host Joe, better known as Washed Up Goalie on social media. This week I'm excited to welcome Goalie Guild founder and Colorado Avalanche emergency backup goaltender Justin Goldman to the show. But before I talk to Justin, let's take a short break. Hey everybody, Joe here for Anchor, the podcast provider. Here's all you really need to know. One, it's free, and two, Tendy Talk uses it. Anchor has features for your podcast like voicemail and listener support that's all available free through the Anchor app or through anchor.fm. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your episodes easily from your phone or computer, then Anchor does the hard work of distributing your episode through all the major podcast distributors. That is, after you've registered with them, of course. You can also make money for your podcast. I know I will try and do so, so that I can cover simple costs like website hosting. There's no minimum listenership required for you to start earning, so you can start right away. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. And now, back to the show. You know, I, I want to thank my guest today, Justin, uh, from the Goalie Guild and Lift the Mass. Justin, thanks for joining me. Um, I, I've been following you for quite some time, and uh, I've, I've got the Lift the Mass sticker on my on my bucket. And uh, so, thanks for joining. No problem. Thanks for having me. Love the hat, by the way, Vintage Goalie. Yep. Love love the guy and love his brand. And uh, I have I have my vintage goalie hat right yep. i don't know you guys see it right there it is the so there's my <laughs> there's my snapback from vintage goalie and uh i've got one t-shirt from the guy and it's like shredded right like it's <laughs> i've worn it so many times 
Um, but yeah, man, happy to be on. And, and obviously thank you for supporting lift the mask with the sticker. Um, it's really cool to see that you're doing this podcast and I'm happy to, happy to be on. Yeah. You know, there's been some great, uh, hockey podcasts out there and even some goalie related ones in goal is the obvious one, but Mike mm-hmm. McKenna had his six degrees there for a while. And it just felt like, you know, there was an opportunity for goalies to just talk to each other and not just tell hockey stories but a little bit more of how they got into it and and also what do they do outside of hockey um to find that balance uh, because mm. as you've been a huge advocate mental health especially in goalies is a uh, a huge thing that we need to talk about more so sometimes that that stuff we do outside of hockey is what grounds us but i i think a lot of us learned in the past few months how much we need hockey i i remember seeing your your uh, LinkedIn, or not LinkedIn, your Instagram post, your first skate, it wasn't that long ago. And I, I had the same feeling you did. You, you knew you needed it, but you didn't realize how much you needed it. Yeah, it's crazy. My my first time, really first two times back on the ice. And, and my last beer league game was middle of March. So I think it was like March 10th. And it was a really exciting game. I mean, it was our quarterfinal playoff game. We won. So we were, you know, you know, pumped up to know we were heading to the semifinals and then boom, it's like, that's it. You don't get a chance to see your buddies and say, Hey, by the way, I'll see you in six months. Like it's just done. Right. So you automatically miss, you know, the playoff atmosphere of beer league hockey, which is always fun. You miss seeing the guys on the team. You miss being at the rink. And then, you know, we've all gone through stretches where we haven't been able to play, whether it's injury or work or life or whatever, but knowing that nobody is playing and like if you do go out and try and play you're compromising your health and the health of others around you like it brings a completely different dynamic to missing the sport that you love and I think when I finally got on the ice I did one one like semi-private session at a at a training facility called Mountain High Hockey and that was in July but my first real time back on a full sheet of ice, um, again, like you said, it was just a couple of weeks ago. And I don't know how to explain the feeling, but it felt like my brain and my whole being just got like replenished and rejuvenated. Like, mm-hmm. like I was standing under um, a waterfall and just being rejuvenated, mind, body, and spirit. That's what it felt like. And the sweat that I got on, and just the sensations of feeling my edges in the ice and, you know, reacting to pucks and tracking pucks, it felt amazing. Like there, there's a difference between like feeling rust, right? Like when you feel a little off and you're like, maybe not reacting cleanly or like, you know, you give up a couple of softies and then there's that feeling of like, this feels so new again. It's amazing. Like you really get the sensation of, being a goaltender and it's like playing yep. the position for the first time all over again. That's kind of like what I felt. And it was one of the most beneficial things for my mental health yep. that I've felt in a really long time. Like it's great to have the conversations and do the lift the mass stuff. And you feel the benefits from that, from having the conversations, talking to guys like yourself, but I don't think I've really ever experienced something quite I, yeah, for lack of better term, spiritual in terms of getting back on the ice and feeling the game and feeling the puck again. It was really like, I, like you said, like just something that was desperately needed and yeah. um, just, just a really cool experience. 
Yeah, it, it was funny. I remember walking into the rink the first time and just that deep breath of, you know, breathing in that ice air. It, it was like it filled you up. And then um, I, I, for, I think I was talking to um, Chip from Totally Offsides and, mm. you know, she, she put it a good way of, you know, it, it was almost like uh, being on some kind of three-day coffee caffeine high without <laughs> having the coffee, you know, the coffee mm-hmm. afterwards. It's just, I, I remember waking up the next morning. And I was like, God, that felt good, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but yeah, it, it was definitely needed. And, you know, I, I typically take the summers off because my team, most of the guys have cabins here in Minnesota and, nice. you know, so they, they take advantage of our nice few weeks of weather. So Mm-hmm. but I'll fill in every now and then. So, you know, some summers I, I won't skate at all, but there's that thought of, well, somebody could call me, but mm-hmm. there wasn't that opportunity. And then all of a sudden mm-hmm. I got a, uh, a message from Cass from the, for the love of puck project. And he said, Hey, I've got ice in Hudson, Wisconsin, which is about 40 minutes from me. Uh, Cause their rinks are open. Are, are you in? And I absolutely, there was 100%, no, yeah. no second thought. And, um, you know, we, we all walked in with the same uh, background of none of us had skated yet. So there, there was no worry of being rusty or looking like a fool because we were all in the same boat. Right. You know, nobody had skated. And, you know, a- after that skate, we were just smiling in the locker room. It, <laughs> it was just, you know, it was, it was like a kid after their first skate of the season. You're like, I can't help but smile because I, I feel good. You know, and most of the folks that were in that, locker room yeah I knew some of them but not all of them but it it didn't matter we just all had the same feeling and it was good to be around them yeah Uh, that's a really cool point you make about just how everyone was kind of on the same page and um that chemistry you kind of feel from knowing that like it doesn't matter how bad you look out there it's just the sheer joy of playing and that that reminds me of just how how important it is to have fun when you're playing like if you can always bring back those sensations and those memories of when you were just a kid skating around you didn't have any ego you didn't care about what you looked like or yep. if all your gear matched or if you had the fanciest crap on it was just going out and having that love for the game and um i i i you know i still reflect on just getting back on the ice here a few times and how much the auditory and the, the olfactory senses play mm-hmm. into memory. You know, it's not just visual. It's not just, you know, verbal. It's like the way the rink smells. Like you say, you take that deep breath and it just, again, rejuvenates you um, and reminds you of, you know, what it was like playing as a kid. And I think that's like really important for a lot of goalies to remember, you know, beer leaguers or, you know, competitive junior goalies. It's like, there's nothing wrong with taking some time away. Mm-hmm. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. It's not like you're going to forget how to, yeah, you need to. It's like, you're not going to forget how to skate. You're not going to forget how to, you know, track pucks. Like those things are so ingrained in our muscle memory and in our minds. Like it's amazing how fast it actually comes back. And of mm-hmm. course, everyone's different. Some guys, you know, take a little bit longer to get comfortable again and others can just kind of jump out there and they feel fine. But it's, it really is amazing how, how the, body and the mind works and and it all comes back to you even though you feel like holy crap I haven't skated in three or four months like do I even remember how to do things and it's like no it's like it's ingrained it's in your DNA almost and and it you don't forget so like a lot of goalies worry about you know taking that time off and Mm -hmm. what it's gonna 
how it's going to impact their long-term development or their short-term success. And it's like, you know what, if you just don't worry about those things and you just go out and play and be free and, and enjoy it and really take in those different senses that come with being a goalie, like it's amazing how fast it comes back. And, uh, you don't really get a lot of time to realize that because hockey's become basically a year round sport. Um, so I think even though it's been rough for a lot of us, um, there's always a silver lining to it. And that's kind of been the silver lining for me is that like, wow, this is a really good way to remember that. Like if I miss time due to an injury or for whatever reason, it's okay. I'll come back and I'll still be, you know, a a decent goalie, you know, I'll still have my skill set there. I'll still stop two out of 10. (laughs) Yeah. It it was funny as you were talking about, you know, it's okay to step away and, you know, that first skate back, how you feel. And my first skate back, I had no expectations. I was expecting to play terrible. And because of that, it was almost like I wasn't thinking on the ice. I was just reacting and I wound up playing a lot better because of it. Mm -hmm. Um, Where the next few skates after I just, kind of changed my approach a little bit instead of focusing too much on the upcoming skate it was no let's just take it for what it is go out there have fun and I've, I've played well because of that hopefully that transfers over into the fall season but uh, right. pickup skates it seemed to work out well and you know the, the other piece you touched on is you know you had your beer league game and then all of a sudden it was just boom and I think a lot of us for the longest time took for granted that we always knew when the next skate was. And then all of a sudden we realized that could be taken away really quickly. And with the fall season coming up, I, I, I know myself, I'm looking at going, okay, we're going to have a schedule, but are we going to be able to get through it? Because the state, the rank, the league, somebody could shut it down with the snap of a finger, just like it happened last time. I remember um, my last game was the same night the NHL played their last game. I was skating it it was week two of our, our season that I was in. And, you know, we were starting to see the reports that the NBA was shutting down before our game. We're like, huh, this is something. And there was a uh, bar connected to the rink. So after the game, we went over there and we all had a drink and kind of had the realization, let's enjoy a little more time after the game. Cause we, mm-hmm. we might not see each other next week. Yeah. That's, I think you bring up two really good points and, and like, it's amazing how much we get in our own way yep. um, as goalies. And, and I, you know, I experienced the same thing. Like there is such a thing as trying too hard. And I feel like for most of my twenties, I felt like the harder I worked, the more it would help me get better. And then I feel like in my thirties, you know, I'm 38. I feel like in my thirties, it's like the less I try, the more I accomplish. And I think mm-hmm. that's a, I think that's why you see goalies in their thirties still have plenty of success um, at all levels mm-hmm. because you just realize how easy it is to just let the game come to you as a, as opposed to forcing it. And I use that um, analogy of like the Ch- Chinese finger trap, right? Like when you f- try and force your fingers apart, you're just making it harder on yourself Um, but if you just relax and let things happen, it's like, okay. So, so I like to use that analogy with, with goalies because it's so true. Like you get in your own way. A lot of the times you create the noise in your mind, um, that leads to anxiety and worrying and overthinking things. And, you know, it is 
some I, I think back to like some of my better playoff runs the past few years in beer league and it's like you just it's not even a notion that you're gonna struggle with the anxiety because you've just enjoyed the ride mm-hmm. and you realize that like hey like you said, again, something that I think happens in your mid to late thirties or even older, you don't know how much longer you've got to enjoy the game. Um, so you stop worrying about the short term results and you stop being results driven and you just enjoy, enjoy the, process, the game and then you end up playing better. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, b- before I get to ask these questions, I, you know, I've, I've done my homework. I've listened to some of the other podcasts you've been on, but uh, I wanted to ask you, how did you get into hockey in the first place? Yeah, um, <laughs> it's a fun story to tell because it's so non-traditional, right? And yeah. um, that is a big part of who I am is the fact that um, despite not having the playing experience and things like that, I've still been able to find a way to have a career in, in pro hockey. And so you know, hockey didn't even exist. It wasn't even something that was in my mind when I was growing up. Cause I grew up on a horse ranch in Texas, you yeah. know, in a very rural town called Parker, um, you know, about an hour North, Northeast Alice. So again, I grew up, I didn't even know hockey existed. Like I, <laughs> I didn't know the sport was even real. Um, and then all of a sudden the Minnesota North stars moved to Dallas, right. Yep. 1993. And I start to see the billboards around town, like a hockey team's coming. And I'm like, what is this? What is this noise? Right. And, and growing up in Texas, it's football and basketball, like football is hockey in Minnesota. It's the culture. It is the way of life. Um, that's what everyone talks about. That's what everyone aspires to be. And I was too small to be a goalie. I was this, you know, skinny lanky kid and, and I played basketball growing up and then, you know, I took basketball so seriously that I started to get burned out on it. And I was looking for something new. I was looking for a new challenge Mm -hmm. and hockey just fit the culture of kids like me that were maybe not interested in being football players, but wanted a physical aggressive, different experience. And that's what hockey brought to, you know, the Dallas Metro area in the mid nineties. And you had that ranch toughness too, that plays well in hockey. Yeah. You know, you talk about like, um, good old boys from Western Canada that grow up on the ranch and they have success, but guys like Braden Holpe. Right. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that was a little bit of me. I was very free spirited. I love animals. You know, I love being outdoors. I'm a huge nature freak. Um, and, and so that's what it was for me. It was just this new experience and I love experiencing anything new. I'm always looking to uncover, you know, things that I haven't experienced are going to different places, like my whole journey to Finland and Sweden. And so for me, hockey was just something new and fresh and exciting. And nobody was better than anyone else because we were all terrible because we had never skated before. And there was one hockey, one ice rink in Dallas at the Galleria Mall um, in, in kind of like North Dallas. And it was so hard to get skating lessons because there was only one rink. So it was Mm -hmm. mostly figure skaters. So they would have these public ice sessions, you know, in a mall and the skates were always rented out and it was the most frustrating thing ever. (laughs) So what my friends and I did, we just started playing street hockey Yep. and that's how it started. It was, you know, three or four solid years of street hockey playing after school every single day. Um, in Texas, you know, it gets really hot in the summer, but even in the winter street hockey, you can play year round. And I think from like the age of 12, 11 slash 12 until 
almost 16 years old. It was strictly just street hockey. And then every once in a while, I would get a chance to go on an ice sheet um, and learn how to ice skate. And then when I was a freshman in high school, so when I was 15 years old, that's when the stars started the junior stars program. Mm -hmm. And so I was one of the first like goalies to be in that junior stars program. And that's where I learned how to ice skate. That's where I learned like some real basic fundamentals. I didn't have a goalie coach, but our head coach would show me some things. And so mostly it was just self-taught. Um, but what I always tell everyone is the power of watching goalies on TV. Mm -hmm. And I think that's how it was for a lot of us growing up. It was just watching our favorite goalies and then just trying to go out and emulate that, you know, on the street or the ice. Yeah. You know, I'm a year older than you. So we're kind of same, same generation. It's interesting you bring up street hockey because I feel like our generation played so much street hockey, even those of us, you know, I, I grew up in Chicago and we had a few more rinks up there than yeah, down in Dallas. But if you weren't on the ice, you were out in the street playing street hockey. And, you know, there's that scene from Wayne's world, you know, car game yeah. off and that game, but that, that was reality back then, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And I mean, some of my best memories were just getting home from school, literally taking off my, my uniform, grabbing my bag, grabbing my skates, yep. going down the street. And we had this like local church where they had these huge parking lots that were empty every day, except Sunday. Yep. So we took advantage of those empty parking lots and it was the same thing. Sometimes we'd play on the street at one buddy's house, then you'd rollerblade for a couple of miles and you go to your other buddy and pick him up. Yep. And, pick up his or her, but you know, her buddy. And, and, and then all of a sudden you've got enough to play, you know, some three on three or five on five, you know, tennis courts or churches. And so literally you mapped your neighborhood by where the best areas to play yep. street hockey were like, Oh, we got to stay away from this street. There's too many cracks in the pavement, yep. you know, like, Oh, this is really smooth surface over here. Oh, and they've got these backboards on these tennis courts. That's perfect. So yep. it was, uh, it was really awesome to kind of like reflecting on it now being a part of that first wave of youth hockey in Dallas. Yep. And um, there were a couple of guys that, you know, I played against in high school that went on to play minor leagues and stuff like that. And I thought that was always really cool too, but I always knew, you know, okay, I'm a kid from Texas. I want to be a goalie. I want hockey to be in my life forever, but I'm pretty realistic that it's not going to be as a player. Like, of course mm -hmm. I strive to want to be the best goalie I could be, but right. I was also very realistic and I was also really passionate about my education. Like I went to, you know, Catholic high school, uh, Catholic school. I went to a college preparatory, you know, Jesuit mm -hmm. high school. And I was just really fortunate by the time I was a sophomore, our club hockey program was good enough to be a varsity sport. So that's really what helped me a lot in terms of like developing as an athlete and developing that passion for ice hockey was by the time I was already a sophomore in high school, I was playing, you know, varsity high school hockey in Texas, mm -hmm. albeit it was very grassroots and it wasn't like the most talented league, you know, it was still really exciting to again, be the first goalie on the very first hockey team at my yeah, high school. You were a pioneer. Kind of, you know, and, and, and it was just cool to know that like, you know, now hockey is so huge in Dallas and high school hockey is really good. And there's some talent emerging out of Texas. Um, it's really cool to think how much it's changed in 20 years. And now it's nowhere near Minnesota, obviously, but now you can actually drive around the town of Dallas and see, you know, a bunch of rinks popping up and, and some youth associations and, and the junior mm -hmm. stars program is really strong. So 
yeah, that's kind of, kind of how it came in into my life. And the stars were good enough that first year to be competitive and make the yep. playoffs. And I think that really helped yep. um, that the team was competitive right out of the gate. And they had some great personalities like Andy Mogan, and, um, Darcy Wakaluk and yeah. um, you know, his black setup is why I fell in love with black gear. Um, and then obviously we had Eddie Belfour. So yeah. it was, uh, it, it was really cool to see that kind of all emerge and, and to know that, um, I got to be a part of like that first wave of youth hockey in Texas. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. So, you know, you mentioned it a little bit, but you know, you, you've been able to make your career out of hockey and, you know, hearing that backstory, um, most people wouldn't expect you to be able to do that. You know, somebody coming from Minnesota or Canada, you know, they, they could see that, but how, how have you been able to establish yourself in the hockey community? Cause you know, if, if you look around now, you, you have your yearly goalie summit that people come from all over the world for. You, mm-hmm. you are considered, you know, one of these people that people look up to for goaltending, mm-hmm. uh, whether it be for instruction or the Lift the Mask project. You know, how, how have you been able to make that a career? Yeah, I think for me, again, it really stems back to my passion for learning. Mm-hmm. And so taking my education really seriously and just being a person that loves to absorb information and learn from everyone and everything I possibly can, like I'm in a constant state of learning. And, um, I think for me, part of it was definitely right place at the right time. So what really started my, my, perf- you know, my career in, in hockey was when I was a sophomore at Colorado state university out of nowhere, kind of like when the Minnesota North stars came to Dallas, like out of nowhere in right where I was going to school, the Colorado Eagles franchise, the minor league hockey team came out of nowhere. Like they just Mm -hmm. picked Northern Colorado as their place (laughs) to, to, you know, dig in their roots and start competing in the old central hockey league. And as you know, they've evolved all the way up to, you know, now the Avs main affiliate, they're an HL franchise right there in Northern Colorado. So literally 10 minutes from where I was going to school and studying, you know, technical journalism and broadcasting and creative writing, um, all of a sudden there's a minor league hockey program new to the area. So mm-hmm. as soon as I heard this was happening, I was like, holy shit, like <laughs> I got to, this is my chance, right? Like this is my chance to, to be a junior reporter as a college student for a minor league hockey program like this. I have to make this happen. So I just went and banged on their door and talked to the media guy and was like, hey, I'm a journalism student. I'm a hockey goalie. Like I'm basically like the third string goalie for CSU's club team. So I'm not really playing in games, but I practice with these guys. Like I would love to, you know, cover your team. I'll do anything I can to be involved. And they were amazing. They gave me the press credential. They were like anything you need for school, or if you just want to, you know, report and cover games and write some articles for us, like we'd love that. And Mm -hmm. so I was very, very lucky to, again, as a, you know, 19 slash 20 year old, already have that press credential and have the ability to sit in the press box and start, you know, scouting goaltenders at a minor league level and go into the locker room and experience what it's like to have that anxiety of having to hold a recorder to (laughs) one of your favorite goalies face and be like, how did you feel about that crappy goal you gave up? You know? So, so I was really fortunate again, while I was still going to college 
to have this opportunity to be like a minor league hockey reporter. Mm -hmm. And I can just remember how fun it was to sit there in the press box. And instead of really paying attention to what the skaters were doing, just dialed in on the goalies, just pages and pages of notes on observations that I would make about their style and their stance and their movements and their tendencies and their habits. And I've got notebooks full of them, you know, stashed away from like two or three seasons worth of central hockey league play. And back then this was in, you know, 2002 to 2005, there were no goalie specific analysts out there on social media and social media wasn't even really a thing yet. Um, This was before in goal magazine started. This was before obviously the goalie guild was a thing. Yeah. Um, Goalies world was still around then. Goalies world was still around. And that was the only thing. And that really played a big influence. And like the hockey news, getting the Mac, you know, the news, uh, the hockey news every week, you know, that was what fueled this passion for hockey journalism. Mm -hmm. And that's really where my career started was just having the passion for wanting to share my thoughts and observations and reports on minor league goalies. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, in Colorado, the hockey community is really small. So by the time I graduated in 2004, um, I had an opportunity to act as the editor in chief for a local hockey magazine called Colorado hockey insider. So it was like this monthly tabloid newspaper that was in every rink in the state. Mm-hmm. And all it did was just cover hockey in Colorado, whether it was the Avs or DU pioneers or CC air force, you know, all levels of hockey. And that included the Eagles. Yeah. It was the so, let's play hockey of Colorado. Exactly. Let's play hockey of Colorado. So <laughs> again, same thing great opportunity to become their editor in chief. And I would make like 500 bucks a month. And I was definitely one of those poor starving, you know, recent graduates who um, didn't make a lot of money, but just had this passion for wanting to, you know, build the hockey community and provide good insight. And that led that editor in chief job for this, you know, monthly hockey magazine led to an opportunity to start covering the avalanche. Um, and so again, because hockey in Colorado, in terms of like, you know, broadcasting and journalism was really small. Mm -hmm. Um, I had that opportunity to start doing some like radio spots and, um, get a press credential to cover the avalanche. And so by the time the 2006 season rolled around, I was a member of the pro hockey writers association covering the avalanche. And that was a huge step. And Mm -hmm. so again, same thing. I would sit in the press box and just take a copious amount of notes on NHL goalies and their movements and everything you could possibly imagine. And so by then I had the ability to build like a real basic WordPress blog. And that's where the goalie guild started. And that was, I think in 2008. Um, So yeah, that's kind of, it's like one little step after one little step after one little step. Um, I definitely had to go through that transition of realizing what I don't know and realizing that I'm always going to get some haters and some people that don't agree or want to know my playing experience or want to know what the heck I think I know about goaltending. But I didn't really care about all that because I was just so passionate about learning. Right. And so Mm -hmm. I kind of go back to that concept of just continually being in that state of awareness where I want to just get better at my craft. I want to understand why goalies do the things they do. Why do they wear gear a certain way? Why do coaches make these decisions? Um, and so that, that, that curiosity and that passion for wanting to learn 
um, is what continued to help me take these steps and refine my craft. And, you know, it went from the Eagles to the avalanche to, you know, NHL.com to USA hockey, all these steps are just because I'm always constantly learning. And I think everyone in the goalie community, um, and in hockey in general, just realized I had that passion that I was just trying to, you know, bring more awareness to the position and help fans understand why goalies do things. And so mm-hmm. it stopped being more about like what I think I know or trying to promote myself. And it was more just about like what I'm doing to help grow the position and help other goalies. And so that's kind of, I think what really helped me, um, become a little bit more well-recognized and the social media stuff started to explode. And, mm-hmm. um, I've always kind of stayed true to, you know, that purpose of just giving back and wanting to help educate the community. Yeah. And you mentioned when the uh, goalie guild launched, I remember logging on to the site way back then because it was okay. just <laughs> more, more knowledge for a goalie is like, what, what am I going to find here? And, and you brought up a good point. You know, sometimes people will look at a coach and say, well, what about your playing background? You didn't play, you know, at this level or that level. And you see it across all sports. Some of the best in the sport are terrible coaches. Wayne Gretzky mm-hmm. was not a very good coach. <laughs> um, Ted Williams was a terrible hitting instructor. And it's the marginal player that has to observe and learn and uh, really understand their position in whatever sport tend to be the better coaches because they have to constantly uh, find better ways. They have to look at what other people are doing. And it's because of that, that, you know, a guy like Ian Clark or Mitch Korn who never played in the NHL are some of the best in the game. Oh, yeah. um, you know, I, it, it's crazy to me on how some people always think, you know, you need to have some high level playing experience. No, you need to have some experience, but it doesn't need to be at the highest levels to, understand what's going on because I know what I'm supposed to do. My body just won't let me do it. (laughs) That's what it is. You know, especially these days I'm 39. My body, my mind's telling me to do what I could do when I was 21 in college, but my body's telling me no. (laughs) Mm -hmm. No, And I, I think it's like, it, it is really cool to look at guys like Ian Clark and Mitch Korn, like you mentioned, and some of the others and realize that, um, it's not always what you know or how good you are. It's just how you treat people. Mm -hmm. You know, like Mitch Korn has this amazing ability. He's got like the Midas touch for goalies. How does he make every goalie he works with a little bit better? Mm -hmm. Is it just what he's doing on the ice? No, it's just his ability to create those relationships and find ways to motivate guys. And, and that's what I think really separates, you know, maybe your good coaches or your good goalies from your great ones. It's, like their ability to communicate and um, drop the ego and realize that you can always learn something new from anyone, anywhere, any given time. It's all just how you observe it. And if you've always got, you know, blinders on, or you always think your way is the right way and there's no other way to do it, you just pigeonhole yourself and you miss out on 99% of the stuff that you could be learning that's out there. And so I think for me, just knowing that, okay, I'm just a kid from Texas. Like I'm just here to learn and to help and get better and do good stuff. Um, I always was very open to everyone and anyone telling me what they thought was right. And you know what their observations are. And so I was constantly just taking in perspectives and observations and, um, I was, I made it a point every single day. And I can say this with 100% guarantee 
from the day I turned 20 to almost this very day, every day I'm reaching out to someone new um, or someone that I respect or someone just to ask them how they see things or what they think about X, Y, or Z or whatever the case may be. So it's just that constant ability to always like have your ideas, have your thoughts, have your opinions, but also don't negate what anyone else thinks because everyone sees things a little bit differently and you start to understand what's reality and what's perception and you start Mm -hmm. to get over your own inherent biases. And it's that Brene Brown piece of the story I'm telling myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you exactly. Know. And, and goaltending is mostly mental. So it's easy to get caught up in what you think, you know, is happening. Um, but, but same thing, like when you watch the game from different angles and you watch the game from different perspectives, you th- see things so differently, like mm-hmm. from behind the net versus 200 feet up in the press box versus right along the glass, you know, versus your own perspective in the net, like all those different perspectives help give you a better understanding of what reality actually is. And then the more observations you make and the more perspectives you realize that reality is not quite what it seems. And that helps you, um, I think, eliminate that ego a little bit and just be more transparent and be more willing to, to listen to other people's advice or observations or perspectives. It's interesting you say that because there's been times where I've gone to hockey games with my dad and, you know, he, he sees me following plays and he'll ask me, what are you seeing? What are you looking at? Because I'm looking at the game a completely different way. Uh, but you, you said something a little bit earlier that really struck out, stuck out to me. And it was, you know, guys like Mitch Korn, they find ways to connect with the goalies on a different level. And I think that's important when you're coaching any position, any sport, whatever you do is you can't treat every goalie the same. You can't line them up and say, this is how it's done. Do it, follow. Um, you know, I, I've seen camps where that's what it is. You know, this is how your stance should be. It was get to know your goalie, understand, you know, how they play and then work with them with that. When I was coaching uh, at the high school level, I learned my goalie's personalities. And one of the goalies, I had put my arm around them and, you know, coddle him a little bit and then there was another goalie I could just look at him from the bench and mouth the words what were you thinking and he's like yep I'm I'm better now you know it's it's getting to know them and how to connect with them and like I said some of them you could yell at call them every name in the book and they're like yeah I deserve that and other ones you know you got to treat them like a teddy bear yeah (laughs) otherwise they're going to turn off Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, I think goalie coaches have done a great job, you know, as a whole understanding that, because like you said, when I was growing up, it it was just the factory line um, Mm. construct of developing goalies. And now I think we've entered this golden age, so to speak, where we really do consider the personality and the learning process more than just, okay, here's a physical skill set let's mold them and shape them all to look the same and be as polished as possible. And um, we always have these discussions about like how goalies in the eighties and nineties all looked different, Mm -hmm. right? You had your Hoshik, your Waz, your Brodors, your Van Beesbrooks, your Richters. They're all different. Potvin, all those guys. And now it's like, we, we talk about how goalies all look kind of the same and Mm -hmm. we've lost a lot of that unbridled um, reaction based goaltending. And that's always a really interesting conversation because I still think today goalies look really different. It's just kind of in a different bubble, so mm-hmm. to speak. 
Yep. Um, because the game evolves and the position evolves and the gear evolves. So the gear looks a little bit more streamlined and things like that. And it's, it's always really interesting. And I think that's why I've become so passionate about learning design, you know, and, and the educational component of goaltending, because again, everyone plays differently. You have to coach everyone differently and that's because everyone learns differently. Um, and so understanding how your goalie is motivated to learn and improve um, intrinsically and extrinsically, I think that's what makes some of these goalie coaches so damn good. And like, we're seeing it right now, like what Jacob, um, sorry, what, uh, Thatcher Demko mm -hmm. and Carter Hart and even Michael Hutchison and Pavel Francis, like what these goalies are able to do, um, to get themselves ready to play in these like massive, massive games, and come out so composed and just do the thing is, is remarkable um, to me in terms of like the coaching and just the, the mental fortitude of the athletes themselves. So mm -hmm. it, it's amazing to see. And I think it's just such a cool time to be a goalie because you can be yourself, but you can mm -hmm. still have a lot of success. Even if you have some areas that don't look that polished or aren't that strong, like, you can still find ways to adapt and have success in these really tough situations. And uh, it's really awesome to see. Now you mentioned something about the, uh, the goaltenders of the eighties and nineties, just having this different style. Everybody, you know, you didn't have to see the Jersey or the helmet to know it was Eddie Belfort or Felix Poppin or Mike Richter, all these guys, they had their own unique style. And when you hear a lot of them talk, you know, they, they almost all say they, they never had a goalie coach until almost till they got to the NHL. And now we're seeing it and they're talking about it on in goal quite a bit lately, the rushing goalies, mm -hmm. they have that own, their own unique styles. And we're starting to learn they're not getting formal goalie training till maybe the bantam age, you know, junior mm -hmm. high, high school. And that's intentional because they want these kids to just learn to react before they learn Oh, I should be doing this or I should be doing that. Or, mm -hmm. And I, I think that's why we're seeing more Russian goalies in the NHL now than we have in the previous. Or, there's what three of them left in the playoffs right now. Mm -hmm. um, do you think there's something to that, that maybe we're starting to teach our goalies a little too young? Absolutely. I mean, I, I think that's, what's so fascinating about goalie development as a whole is those, those environmental and cultural impacts. Um, obviously, you know, my time spent in Finland and Sweden really opened my eyes to the fact that there are many different ways to create an NHL goalie. Yeah. And, and what Russia is doing is so exciting is because it proves that you don't need all of the structure in the world. You just need it at the right places at the right time. And the right time is when their brains have formed enough to become more self-aware mm -hmm. to realize what they do need and what they necessarily don't need. And we understand now that there's, there's, when you look at the goaltending blueprint, the things that you constantly always need are just that adaptability, the unbridled athleticism that we talked about earlier, and yep. just that sheer competitive drive to stop every puck, no matter what it takes or how you do it. Yeah. And I think that's what you see in those Russian goalies. They are fierce. They have crazy work ethic off the ice with their training, like, you know, their physical training. 
and and they have a high competitive drive to want to stop every puck. You see that in Vasilevsky, Sorokin, um, Shosturkin, all these young, awesome Russian goalies. Yes. And I think that helps – I hope that helps North America realize that like, you know what, you don't need all of the structure in the world when you're eight, nine, 10 years old. Cause your right. body is changing so much. Your mind is changing and you need to go through that self-learning at those ages mm-hmm. to realize like how your body moves in specific ways. Does the VH actually work for me or do I feel a little janky in it? And I'm more of an RVH guy or vice versa. Yep. No goalie coach is going to tell you that you have to feel it and experience it for yourself yep. through trial and error, through failure, through perseverance. And again, just that self motivation to want to get better every single day. So I hope that as goalie coaches and as a goalie coaching culture in North America, we are still there for our athletes at the ages of six to 12 but we're there for social emotional support, not to teach you the technical nitty gritty um, finer details that you can easily still integrate into your game when you're Mm -hmm. 15 or 16. So I think it's not just the sense that like, Oh, we shouldn't have goalie coaches until they're 12. It's that goalie coaches should just have more of a holistic approach at those younger ages to support their mental game, to support their growth as human beings first. Mm -hmm. And then when they get older and they're more self-aware and their body, you know, they're growing through that growth spurt, 13, 14, 15 years old. That's when you can start to become more detail oriented and focus on, you know, the tactical approach and, um, you know, breaking down certain strategies and game plans. But before then it's like, just be there to support your goalie, make sure that he or she um, has that, you know, post to, to lean on yep. Um, so that they continue to want to have that passion for getting better. And, and so that's kind of how I observe um, or some of my opinions on like goalie coaching culture in North America. And, and you've seen the European cult, you know, cultures and the European countries have success just leaving goalies alone for a little while and then really dialing them in when they're at that junior level age. So you know, USA Hockey has their, what are they terming it, uh, 50 and 30 campaign for 51 goalies? 51 and 30. 51 and, do you see them following this um, thought process of, you know, let's let the young goalies develop a little bit on their own, be there for them, but develop? Or are you seeing more of that uh, factory coaching at the under levels? Yeah, I mean, I think I see both. And, and like, you know, the great thing about these European countries is that they're small enough compared to the U S to where the structure can be really streamlined and everyone can be on the same page easily. Mm -hmm. And they really do have that club level system that allows, you know, goalie coaches at the professional level to still kind of um, integrate that culture all the way down to the grassroots levels where those clubs are starting. North America is very different because it's more of a, um, business oriented culture where it's regional it's regional it's privatized it's very much um brand specific where a goalie coach can go out create his or her own brand have her own style of coaching they get their kids they teach their kids in their area and then that's it now what's great about what usa hockey is doing is that they are creating a program that Um, thrives in both worlds where coaches can still have their privatized culture and, you know, they have to make a living, which is totally understandable, but still kind of 
spiral back and reinforce some of the main principles of goaltending that we do want to see at a national level, which is like if a goalie's eight years old, like focus on fun, the fundamentals, F-U-N, right? Yep. Um, And then you have that age-specific long-term athletic development model. And in USA, it's called the ADM, right? The American Mm -hmm. Development Model. That has been really successful for a lot of players and skaters um, for the last 10 years. Now, for goalies, it's a different story because we know goalies are on a different um, development curve. Yep. And so I think – the 51 and 30 is very ambitious, but I think that's totally okay because we're starting to develop a culture um, of, you know, goaltending success. And Mm -hmm. you look at Thatcher Demko, right? Like he went through the program, his last year at the NTDP was the first year I was involved with USA hockey. And that's when I moved to Minnesota. I was living up there in, in, uh, in uh, uh, Burnsville for a couple of years Um, was part of that NTDP. And so you know, I think, I think it's just understanding that it's really hard to change the culture of goalie development across this country. Cause it's such a big country yep. and there are so many different regions where hockey's really strong and maybe in Vegas, it's like very grassroots, like where it was in Texas 20 years ago. So it's really hard to get everyone on the same page in terms of a national goalie development program in the U S right. compared to, you know, Finland, Sweden, and some of these European countries but it does seem like they're starting to make progress in getting, you know, goalie coaches and programs to understand that like you're more of an observer at those really young ages. And then as the goalies work their way up the ranks, then you start to increase the, the level of technical coaching. So mm-hmm. I think we're starting to make progress. Obviously it takes a lot of time and there's still a lot of work to be done, but I'm definitely starting to see that culture shift a little bit. And that's, that's a really good thing. Yeah. Now, one question I had for you, you know, you mentioned it earlier with kids of if they're playing hockey year round, they're going to get burnt out at some point. Uh, You mentioned it with basketball. That's what would kind of drove you to hockey. You got burnt out with hockey kind of be your day job as well. Do you ever get burnt out with the sport where you're like, you know what, I need to turn the TV off. I need to go away from the rink. You know, do you experience burnout? Yeah, all the time. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I was so focused on social media when I was writing for NHL.com and I wrote for NHL.com from 2011 until 2014. And when I stopped, it was because I was burned out on the day-to-day, um, you know, wins and losses and save counts and save percentage and ranking goalies for fantasy league every week, every day for four mm-hmm. years. Um, yeah. I just, I became passionate about other things. That's when I started to travel overseas was after my HL.com stint because I knew there was so much more I wanted to learn beyond just what's happening in the NHL bubble. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously I learned a lot and it was great to be able to cover NHL goalies, but it was just too much. And I didn't want to pigeonhole my career or myself into a guy that just covered NHL goalies and the only value I bring to the hockey community is what I know about NHL goalies. Like right. there's, there's more out there, you know, like I want to have a positive impact on the culture. And so in order to do that one, I have to, you know, make the commitment to travel to other countries to see how other countries are doing it well. And that's a time commitment. That's a financial commitment. And that's stepping away from what many would consider a dream job, you know, writing for NHL.com and realizing that there's still more steps in this journey. 
Um, and, and that's always been something that's really helped me stay away from getting burned out is the fact that I have so many interests in so many different things. And so when it comes to me maintaining balance, like I love really crazy, I love metal music, you know, <laughs> like before I would maybe like not really talk about it on social media because it's not a popular music style. But to this day, I still tweet about how nothing goes together better than metal and hockey. There's a lot of goalies that are big into heavy metal. It, the more you talk to it's it's funny how many of them are metalheads and Mike yeah. McKenna is an obvious one that comes to mind because he's always talking about it. Mm-hmm. It's uh it's really awesome. And I mean, I've been a metalhead for 20 years and um, going to shows every year and seeing my favorite bands roll through. And um, I'm a huge fan of Scandinavian metal. So the Finnish and Swedish bands, like that's why I had this passion for Scandinavian goalie culture. Cause just the culture and the history in general, like I'm a huge Vikings buff. Um, so I'm really into um, ancient cultures and Scandinavian culture. And if you look at my bookshelf, it's 90% like Viking history and, you know, stuff on creativity. It's not even hockey related. Um, so, and you're not yeah. talking Minnesota Vikings. You're talking the actual Vikings. Talking the actual real Nordic yeah. Vikings, yeah. everything from, you know. Vikings mid- at one. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, I think it's, it's, you have to have it. Um, the, the other thing too, is that you can learn from everything. And there are things I learn about Viking culture that helped me with goalie development. Mm -hmm. It's as crazy as it sounds. There are stories about, you know, famous Viking warriors that have persevered through different battles and have, you know, put tribes on their shoulders and um, conquered lands and things like that. And you're like, how the hell does Viking culture help you understand goalies better? But it's about the stories of people that persevere and overcome incredible odds to accomplish amazing things and have that warrior mentality. And like, that is a goaltender in a nutshell. You are a warrior. You have to have that warrior mentality. You have to be willing to um, battle for pucks. You have to be willing to push through all types of physical adversity to claim what's yours, which is that crease. You know what I mean? So there are connections. Yep. You just have to be willing to look for them. Yeah. And we're always in that goalie mindset. Like if I'm watching a documentary on Viking history, I immerse myself in it, but in the back of my mind, I'm always tying everything to my experience as a goalie. And there are a lot of connections there. I think that's why you see a lot of metalheads that are hockey goalies because Mm -hmm. It's that like battle mentality. I'm going to go into war and I'm fighting alongside my brothers to, you know, win a battle and win a championship. And so Mm -hmm. um, that is kind of the beauty of, you know, having different passions is that it's not like you stop being a goalie. You just connect, make different connections in different ways and you find ways to relate, you know, these passions and bring it all together into, you know, that human experience. So um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm interested in all kinds of native ancient history stuff. And I've got my trinkets and my drinking horn and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, and yeah, I mean, that's, that's uh, it's fun to be able to kind of blend them together and and have them coexist and know that, you know, if I'm burnt out on hockey, I can just go immerse myself in a Vikings book or something like that. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, and I, I think that leads into, you know, the next area I want the conversation to go to is, in 2014, you launched the Lift the Mask um, 
initiative. And it's great because I love the idea of other goalies helping each other because we understand the, the anxiety, the pressures that other goalies go through, but sometimes we, we can't always help each other. So there's even financial support for the goalies that need to go get professional help. Tell me a little bit about why you chose to start lift the mask and where you see it going in the future. Cause it seems like it's, um, at least to an outsider like me, it's been a huge success and I can only imagine that there's even greater plans for it. Yeah. So, you know, I started lift the mask because like a lot of things I saw, there was a lack of resources that were goalie specific. So same thing with the goalie guild. It's like, Oh, there's no goalie blogs out there. Well, let's start a goalie blog. Obviously there should be one. Like there's a lot of goalies. So it was the same thing. It's like, I started doing research on mental health initiatives in hockey and it was the bell let's talk initiative that I discovered and saw. And I didn't know necessarily, you know, a couple of years ago when this, when I started lift the mask, that it was just a strict, mostly a Canadian thing. Mm-hmm. And so then I started to look like, wow, I wonder if there's any like hockey specific mental health initiatives in the States. And I didn't find any. Right. And I was like, well, if there's no hockey specific initiatives for mental health in the U S then there's obviously not a goalie one. And there definitely should be because, you know, as a, as a mentor and someone who's written some books on goaltending, like I was starting to hear from a lot of parents that were like, man, my kid's been a goalie for six years He or She has never shown any signs of, you know, mental health problems. And now all of a sudden they're dealing with like crippling anxiety or Mm -hmm. suicidal ideations or OCD tendencies. Like the parents weren't prepared for it. The goalies weren't prepared for it. Coaches are mostly not prepared to somebody that is dealing with a significant mental health issue. So that is where, and myself included, I wasn't prepared to necessarily provide the right type of support or say the right things. And the last thing you want to do as a goalie coach or a parent is say the wrong things and push a goalie further down Mm -hmm. whatever troubles they're dealing with. So knowing that there was a limit on the type of advice or mentoring I could give for a goalie that was struggling with mental health and knowing that, you know, probably 90% of goalie coaches are in that same boat. Um, there had to be a resource that basically bridged the gap between coaching and legit professional mental health support. And that's what lift the mask really is. It's, it's, it's not, me or my organization preaching specific, you know, mental health advocacy. It's literally like we want to connect. If your goalie is struggling or you're a parent and you know, your goalie is struggling and you need legitimate help from legitimate professionals, we are going to help connect you to those people. Mm -hmm. So I think that's why the resource has been so well received and why it's kind of taken over our nonprofit foundation is because there's a legitimate need for it. And there's only so much you can say that you feel confident saying that is actually going to help a goalie, but because mental health is invisible or sorry, mental illness is invisible and it doesn't affect just one in five. It affects all of us. Mm -hmm. We are all somewhere on this mental health spectrum and we move on that spectrum in different ways at different times for different reasons. We have to have some professional support ready to go at the click of a button. And that is what lift the mask provides. You go on the website, we've got consultants, we've got professionals, we've got advocates, we've got ambassadors 
So all those different levels of the type of support that you need to get started on your mental health journey or to getting better is right there in one spot. And then we definitely do not want there to be financial barriers to the professional help. So if a kid reaches out, he or she is ready to see a professional and they don't want to tell their parents or they don't have the money, um, we will provide that $100, you know, donation to make sure that mm-hmm. the financial side is not a barrier to these kids or the parents or the families to get the support that they need. So really born out of necessity more than anything. Um, in terms of the future, I don't really honestly have a plan other than just help as many goalies as possible. Like, obviously I'd love to have a national partner or I would love for the NHL to recognize it in some way and help with funding because that's my goal is to just bring in as much money as possible so that every kid that needs a hundred bucks, I don't have to say, Oh, well, actually I can only give you 50 today. Or you might have to wait. You know, I don't want there to be any financial barriers with our foundation either. Mm -hmm. So I'm constantly trying to find ways to just drum up support um, so that I can keep dishing out stickers for free or um, doing the free weekly, you know, chats on zoom and stuff like that's, that's where, literally a hundred percent of every dollar I raise goes right back into either, you know, lift the mask or the scholarships or goalie guild stuff. In the five years I've been doing the goalie guild, I've never once taken a a salary or a paycheck um, because I know how valuable and how necessary this is. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's really not trying to look too far ahead other than just focus on what's directly in front of me kids are reaching out almost every day looking for help. And I'm just making sure I'm taking care of the kids as best as I can. Yeah. And then, you know, the long-term stuff will, will take care of itself and and hopefully it just continues to grow and we can continue to help as many goalies as possible. Have you seen greater interest in lift the mask since players like uh, Robin Lehner became so um, vocal about his journey? Have you seen it? uptick in interest because of players like that and then other even lesser known players speaking up after that absolutely and it's so huge to have advocates in the goalie community like robin leonard and and um, ben meisner who's been really a great ambassador for us um lots of other goalies as well recently we had the bruins prospect kyle kaiser come on and just reach out out of nowhere just reach out and said hey i you know i suffered with a really bad concussion this year my, you know, second year, third year pro. Um, And those are so huge because to have the professionals reach out and um, advocate for mental health and open up about their struggles really proves how relatable it is to every single one of us. It doesn't matter if you're an elite athlete or you're a beer leaguer like us. Um, Everyone, again, falls on the spectrum somewhere when it comes to mental health and illness. So just making it relatable and making it easier to have those conversations definitely has led to like an uptick in um, goalies reaching out, looking for support or parents um, understanding that their goalies might be silently struggling because, you know, that's where the whole metaphor of lift lift the mask comes from, you know, like we wear a mask to protect us, but it can also hurt us emotionally because we hide behind that mask. We hide behind our, you know, daily emotions, what we show on the surface. And so um, it Robin, I can't say enough good things about Robin Leonard 
and these goalies that have gone through these, you know, obstacles, Corey Hirsch, mm-hmm. Clint Malarchuk, like the list goes on and on. Like it just shows that, yeah, goalies are prone to mental health issues, not because there's something wrong with them, but because that's just the nature of life and the position, you know, it, it comes with the territory and there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with having, I'm 38 years old. I'm playing, you know, B level beer league hockey. I get anxious before games. It doesn't matter. Yep. Every time I go to the Avs game for an e-bug experience, I am anxious as hell, <laughs> like, like sweaty palms. Like, Oh my God, this is ridiculous. You know, like why, but that's just natural human tendencies and there's nothing wrong with that. And knowing that there's nothing wrong with that really helps alleviate the anxiety and it brings you closer together with everyone in the community, which is the ultimate goal, right? Is yep. to just build a stronger community. And you reached out via email, sent you some stickers, and now we're having another conversation about it. And you're doing a podcast and you're reaching more people and helping us spread that message. So yeah. that's why I always go back to what Mitch Korn taught me. People matter more than pucks. Yeah, you know, like- absolutely. You know, you had mentioned something, you know, First of all, you said, you know, when, when parents notice a sudden change in their goalie, but then you mentioned too, you know, when a goalie gets a concussion, I don't recall really having anxiety when I was younger, but I've had a few concussions playing the game. Now I experience anxiety. You know, I think that's one thing parents really have to watch their young goaltenders to pick up the signs of concussions. Now I think youth sports in general, not just USA hockey, but youth sports has done a better job of, um, creating baselines before season so that if you suspect your child has a concussion, you can go find that. But if they have had a concussion, you have to understand what some of those long-term effects could be. And I know for me, it was anxiety. Um, And I didn't put two and two together until I started listening to some of Dan Carcillo's talks about it. Mm -hmm. Um, So, and, you know, like you said, even talking to other goalies, a couple of weeks ago, one of the skates, it ended and I just started talking to this other goalie and he just kept talking and, you know, he's had an interesting, tough upbringing, you know, and he said he wouldn't trade it for the world because it made him who he is, but he just kept talking. Everybody else left. We were the last two cars in the parking lot. And, you know, I got home and in the morning I apologized to my wife and I said, you know, Hey, I'm sorry. I got home so late. This other goalie, we started talking and, you clearly wanted to keep talking and two and a half hours later after the skating, you know, she just said, well, clearly he needed somebody to talk to and you listened. I went, okay. But I, you know, and it it was just uh, one of those times where I I just sensed he he wanted to keep talking. So I let him, you know, if it helped, I hope it did. I I don't know if it did or didn't, but uh, you know, it's one of those times you just, you pick up on those things eventually when you're more aware of it anyway. Yeah. I think that's you, that act that you did just being there to listen, even if you necessarily didn't want to be there is, is exactly what we need to see more of in hockey and in the world in general. And that's yep. just empathy, right? Yep. Like that's, that's just empathy. That's just understanding that, you know, a human being is looking for a connection in that moment in time and you feel it and you make the sacrifice and you hang out and you have a conversation. And um, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> the anxieties and the the struggles in terms of our mental and emotional state as goaltenders manifests itself physically in many different ways. And, and, you know, you talked about for you, it's anxiety. And for me, it's like just being able to shut my darn brain off, you know, like I deal with racing thoughts every day 
And there's so many things going into my mind. It exhausts me. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes it's like, it's 11 o'clock at night. I'm physically exhausted. I've been sitting in front of my computer for 10 hours. Everyone else in the world is going to sleep and normally able to just fall asleep. And like at 11 o'clock, all of a sudden it's like, Oh shit, here we go. We're going on like a, <laughs> Hey brain, we're going to go on a two hour adventure thinking about, um, esports and, and schools and, and, any other thing that might be in my head at that time. And then I can't shut my brain off. And now, now it's one thirty in the morning. You yep. know what I mean? And so it, it manifests itself in all different ways. And I think that's important to realize too, is that um, there are a lot of stigmas associated with the goaltending position. You know, you hear it all the time. Goalies are weird. And, Oh, I never want my kid to be a goalie. The gear's too expensive. And, and that's what hurts me more than anything because those stigmas again, pigeonhole goalies to, you know, you think a goalie is a certain way, which is not really true. Like, sure. Maybe goalies are weird and some goalies will like embrace that and others, it really hurts them. You know, like they don't want to be called weird because they feel ostracized. They feel like there's something wrong with them. And the same thing can hold true when, when a young goalie, you know, has a bad game and, and their parents are yelling at them in the stands. And it's like, you can't do that as a parent because just because they didn't have success on the ice, doesn't mean there's something wrong with them and you internalize all of it and you start to think that there's actually like flaws within you. And so that's why I think lift the mask is important because it's not just like, okay, here's a platform to, you know, provide financial support for mental health. It's like also just having discussions like this, where you can actually explain like why these stigmas are bad and why Mm -hmm. it's bad to like yell at your kid, whether he or she is a goalie or any position, any sport, don't yell at your kid when they're trying to have fun playing a sport because they're going to internalize it. Like that means there's something wrong with them on the inside. Right. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's just that basic understanding of like, again, empathy and social emotional support that is so desperately needed in the culture of competitive youth sports, because that is what's playing a role in the burnout and kids developing these social anxieties without anyone even recognizing it or knowing it. Yep, absolutely. Um, I'm looking at the time here. I've kept you uh, for quite a bit. So I want to finish with the uh, about 10 questions I have. It's more of a rapid fire. <laughs> if, if you've seen uh, inside the actor's uh, studio, it's just kind of some questions and, you know, whatever comes to your mind first. So uh, the first one is the craziest coach moment you've had in your playing days, you know, whether it be a coach going – you know, throwing sticks on the ice a la Mike Keenan or what? <clears throat> Craziest coaching experience was, <laughs> this isn't like a proud moment, but actually <laughs> having a coach co- show up completely obliterated from partying too hard the light- night before for a playoff <laughs> game in high school. And um, didn't even like remember my name or anything about me. He was just so obliterated. He couldn't even create the starting lineup. So I actually had to announce the starting lineup for the team. Cause our coach was out of it. It was oh. not a proud moment, but you know, Texas hockey in the mid nineties, you got yep. a little bit of everything. So that was a crazy coaching and you know, we're like freshmen in high school and we're just like, wow. <laughs> so that's funny. Uh, favorite all time goalie mask. Um, Favorite all-time goalie mask? I'm actually going to go with Felix Potvin's. Okay. I know that's a very typical answer, but that was just the blue and white and the flames and the 
the whole cat setup. Yeah, Felix Potvin. I, I was just going to say which Potvin won because I, I liked when he went to different teams. He did a little something to incorporate mm. that team. The, the best one, I think, was L.A. when he had the little crowns on the side. Nice, yeah, but definitely just like the Toronto Maple Leafs classic. The original. 95-96 season, that was uh, – Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I didn't like him very much because I was a Blackhawks Seti Belfour fan and he had some great playoff series against the Hawks. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, favorite rink you've be- you've played at? Favorite rink I've played at? I mean, obviously, I've been really fortunate to skate on Pepsi Center Ice. Mm-hmm. So Pepsi Center is pretty amazing. Um, obviously, there's just 16,000 black seats. Yep. But um, yeah, that was really cool experience skating on skating at Pepsi Center. Yeah, one thing I think a lot of people don't realize is when you play in those bigger buildings, how hot it is on the ice from those lights. It's crazy. I say it every time. I always like shoot some kind of video for social media, and I'm just like, it is freaking hot out here. I don't know how NHL goalies do it with 16,000 people in the rink and even more lights on. Yep. And yeah, it's insane. I'm gassed every time I skate there. When I was in high school, we played at what is now the All-State Arena, where the Chicago Wolves call home. And we split the game, and I, I was on the bench the first half of the game, and I, I was just sitting there, and I was already sweating. And I'm going, <laughs> this ridiculous. is ridiculous. Yeah. 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 Um, the favorite stick you've ever used? Oh, Sherwood 9950. Okay. that That's a good one. Mine is still the uh, Cooper Reactor 5 Belfort okay. pattern. Yeah, it's awesome. just such a great old wood stick. Uh, what's your favorite youth hockey memory? Favorite youth hockey memory would probably be um, my senior year of high school. I was voted like the team MVP and the league MVP, and that was a really exciting moment for me. There were so many better skaters and and forwards that scored a lot of goals. Um, but you know, I had a really strong season as a senior, um, ranked one of the top goalies in Texas and and getting the 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 league mvp and the state or sorry the league mvp and the school mvp was like probably my biggest on ice accomplishment maybe besides being an e-bug yeah yeah uh the worst post-game beer you've ever had and i i can share what i talked to i'm not uh, a big drinker i'm not a big beer guy but there have been some go ahead I was going to say, I was talking to uh, Dustin um, Smith from Nashville, and he said yeah. his worst one, he, he came up for a game in Minnesota in the winter, and they had post-game beers, but what made this one bad was they were drinking them outside in the winter, and he was not prepared for that. That's Yeah, <laughs> I've got a really funny story. It's not a post-game beer, but I was playing drop-in in Denver, and I skate up to the bench to, you know, grab some water. And it's just that typical green Gatorade bottle on the bench. And I spray it all over my face and it was beer. <laughs> and I was pissed off because, you know, the stench of like warm beer. I mean, I guess it wasn't that warm, but it and wasn't. it's like, in your like, eyes. Yeah, it's like in your mask and it attaches to the foam and you can't get rid of the smell. I was so pissed at that guy, but it was also hilarious. And everyone was laughing because it's it just literally skate to the bench, spray it all over my face, try to drink some. And it's just beer. And I was just like, what is going on guys? So that was, that was a pretty funny moment. But there's a Coors commercial in there somewhere. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, the, the favorite, you're the best chirp you've heard on the ice. Oh man best chirp I've heard on the ice. I couldn't even give it to you right now, but I know it had something to do with my mom. 
<laughs> like I hear those and those really stick, those really grind my gears. Yeah. I've heard a lot. Th- again, back in Texas in the mid nineties, you heard a lot of, a lot of crazy stuff. Yeah. Um, and especially from parents in the stands too, cause they treated it like a football game. So right. I've heard a lot of good stuff. Nothing really comes to mind, but, um, I'll have, I'll have to think about that one. <laughs> uh, when you tape your sick heel to toe or toe to heel, uh, always heel to toe. I've, I've only found one goalie that does it backwards. Mm. Toe to heel and- That's a good question though. That's a good question. I actually go like, you know, well, I guess I can't really show you. I don't know if you uh, play the video during the, the podcast. Yeah, I do. I, okay, cool. So, yeah. so if you're looking at this stick, I actually start down near the base of the, uh, the same base here, of the paddle and then, and then go heel and then go up the toe. So yep. when I first started taping my sick, I, I started Hashik style going up higher. And then I was like, that's a waste of tape. And then I went Belfour style with kind of that same area where it's just past that curve of the heel. Uh-huh. And, and in part I did that because I used Christian sticks for so long. And okay. that, nice. that heel would always get waterlogged and split. But if I taped yeah. it, it lasts a little bit longer. And there was a while in high school where I did the uh, Trevor Kid, the little piece of tape on the top and bottom of the paddle, nice. uh, just to make that last longer. Um, favorite number to wear? 30. 30. It's a good Now, if you number. can tell me which goalie, why I choose 30, that'll, that's a bonus point for you. <sighs> Considering of when you started in Texas, I'm going to say Andy Moog had 30 at the time. I, he did have 30 at the time, but, um, and this is another story for another podcast, but it's actually Chris Osgood's number. Okay. And, uh, Chris Osgood is the reason why the goalie guild is red and white and black. And he's the reason I got into goaltending and he's like my unabashed idol. I, I get the red and white because he played so much in uh, Detroit. Why the black then? Because those are Chicago colors. That's true. Black is just my favorite color. Okay. Black pads black metal yep. yeah <laughs> yep. and then the last question is uh advice for young goaltenders oh that's a good one i have so much so much <laughs> advice for goalies um my advice to a young goalie i mean the obvious one is never stop learning um but i will say be yourself mm-hmm be yourself. Do not try and be someone you're not. Um, don't adhere to what people tell you to do. Find your own path, find your own way and be yourself and be creative. That's great advice. Um, it, well, again, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. I want to thank you for your time, Justin. Um, for people that are looking for you, where can they find you on social media? Um, I'm not really active on the Twitter machine anymore. So Instagram is kind of my go-to for social stuff now. Um, so Instagram at the goalie guild, um, pretty much anywhere at the goalie guild, you know, you can find me. I try to make myself as accessible as possible. Um, and that's it. Yeah. yeah the goalie and, guild. And I'll be putting uh, links in the show notes for that as well as to the website as well, the goalie guild and lift the mask. So thanks cool. again. And, uh, We'll be in touch. Uh, oh man, so- this is this is what I love. I love uh, when it starts out as just like an email back and forth <laughs> or an exchange on social, and it leads to you know a conversation. And yeah. you know, next time I come up to Minnesota to see some of my buddies, I'll uh, I'll hit you up. Maybe yeah. we can uh, maybe we can share one of those post game beers. Post game beers, or if it's winter time, maybe we'll go skate on the pond. 
There we go. See, I love that because I've only done that like three times in my life. So, <laughs> uh, I, I played in a uh, tournament in January, and it was uh, at the Groveland Park uh, rinks, and they have two rinks set up, and then they have a little skating area and an oval going around all of this with the Zamboni, and That's, yeah, it, it was pretty cool. They, like the men- the group I mentioned earlier, for the love of puck, they put it on. They're doing a uh, documentary about just people who love hockey nice. uh, but they put it on and it was great uh, me and one of the other goalies walked down the street in full gear to the one bar and went up to the bar and ordered some beers in full gear yeah it, it was it was a fun weekend but uh but, yeah when you're in town we'll have to get together yeah it's awesome the two years i spent living in minnesota was amazing um the high school state championship was like anything I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Um, all the rinks you can skate at. I could go to six different drop-ins and then one afternoon in the yeah. Twin Cities. And um, yeah, it was an awesome two years. So big fan of Minnesota and the Twin Cities. And uh, I'm sure we'll get a chance to meet soon. But thank you for having me on and allowing me to talk about, you know, lift the mask and all these important, important components of the goaltending journey. Absolutely. Thanks for coming on. Um what a great conversation that was with justin i think we could have kept talking for at least another hour if we had the chance i need to thank him for being gracious with his time as well be sure to follow him on instagram and twitter at the goalie guild i'll have links to his social accounts and websites the goalie guild and lift the mask in the show notes you can always find me on instagram twitter facebook and youtube simply search for wash up goalie and I'll pop up. Visit washedupgoalie.com for some great hockey-related content, my beer league hockey video highlights, and all podcast episodes. I need to give a big thank you to the great hockey band The Zambonis for allowing me to use their music in my intro and closings to my episodes. Download their music on iTunes, listen to them on Amazon Music, or wherever you stream your music from. I'm working on lining up other goalies to talk to as well. I'm really excited about one who has said he'd like to come on the show after the Stanley Cup Finals conclude. If you are a goalie or have connections to a goalie who I should talk to, shoot me, shoot me an email at washedupgoalie39 at gmail.com or send me a DM on social media. Let's not forget, if you're a brand who wants to sponsor the show, be sure to reach out to me. I'd be happy to talk and work something out. And finally, if you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe rate, and comment on the podcast platform you are listening on. It's a quick action on your part that helps others find Tendy Talk. Until next time, keep your stick on the ice and your body square to the puck. You got thick last for every game. Nobody